Shalom and good morning, everybody. I hope that you are having a wonderful start to your week, that your Shabbat rest was restful, restoring, and just healing in any way that you needed it. The Father knows each and every one of our needs. And so if we're seeking Him and putting Him first in our lives, He will provide those things that we need in ours. Shalom, Andrea and Amanda and Dan. Great to see all of you guys. Hope you have had a great day. We have already had snow this morning and now the sun is out and shining. You would have never thought it snowed. Of course, not really enough to stick, but nice large snowflakes. Uh, it was quite beautiful there for about 30 minutes or so. So we, we don't know what to expect for the rest of the week. With Tennessee, you never do. Uh, but it is cool sometimes to be able to get multiple seasons within a day. Snowing in Ohio, awesome. I'm ready for spring, but I'm not ready for the heat. So hopefully it can gradually work its way in and the snow can gradually work its way out. But we always still have those cold spells throughout that early springtime, March and April here. So we're just going to enjoy whatever the Father gives us. Shalom, Sherry and Asia. Great to have both of you this morning as well. I do enjoy our mornings together. At this time, unfortunately, I'm not able to do a live presentation for my morning manna on Wednesday, uh, just due to work schedule. So I am pre-recording those still to air every Wednesday at 10 a.m. EST. So I do enjoy coming on here the first day of the week so we can fellowship together live. I can get to read all your comments and different insights that you guys bring. Always bring so much wonderful words of wisdom and fellowship and love to the group. So wouldn't be the same without all of you guys in the live chat and all those that are just joining in. You don't have to comment. I know sometimes if you're just watching it on TV, it's not necessarily easy to even comment in the chat. So uh, we just are thankful that you are here spending your time with us. And we hope that the message is beneficial to you and that you enjoy it and that you are able to hear the Father speak to you. It's just so wonderful to think about the tradition of reading the Torah and how it all started with Moshe reading it to the Israelites. And that tradition has continued for thousands of years. And even though they didn't have Zoom or YouTube, Telegram, whatever it is, you know, we're able to really reach the masses and all around the world with these platforms. And it can be a blessing, and it is. And we're so thankful that we have that opportunity to where we can all fellowship, even though we're not locally together. But it is so awesome that all of you have that willing heart and that desire to learn more about the Father, to grow closer to Him. And so it's just a great, awesome tradition to continue on that they have been doing for thousands of years. The prophets read it to the people. Moshe read it to the people. We're still doing that today. And so it's just really awesome to think about that. This is nothing new, that it is a really the one tradition of man that I want to uphold and continue on. And I hope that all of us can learn and help each other grow. You know, none of us know it all. And so we shouldn't think that our way of thinking is correct. 
I'm always learning something new. Sometimes I'm learning what I used to know was wrong. And so I'm always willing to learn and grow and that the Father mold and shape me how he sees fit. And you guys provide so much uh, knowledge, a wealth of knowledge as well. Some of us have been on the walk for a long time. Some of us are brand new. Uh, my wife and Lee have only been on the Torah walk for about four years. So we're still relatively new and we have so much to learn. But each time that we dig into the word, we're learning something more. Each time we fellowship with you guys, we're learning something else and something beneficial that we can apply to what we already knew. So we're just so thankful for everyone. Got a couple more joining us. Catherine Wilmot, thank you for being here. Shalom. I hope you are having a wonderful day. We also have John, Turn Back From Truth. Thank you very much for joining. He's got to blow out the driveway. He must have got a lot of snow. Yeah, that's going to be some work. So we'll be lifting all of you guys up as this week continues. Shalom, Nina. Thank you for joining. Hope you are recovering from your illness. I know a lot of us have been ill or under the weather. This is always that time of year where the weather can get us down, bogged down. But we're just lifting everybody up that their needs are met and that their healing and bodies are restored. Back to full health. So this week was a double portion. And we actually, on Tuesday, we had to re-record and add on because we didn't even realize that it was a double portion. It kind of snuck up on us. So if you haven't been able to watch or read the Torah portions, we do that live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. EST. You can join along or just listen. Uh, it's a great way to get that dose of scripture and that weekly reading. And then every Sunday following that, I do the half Torah and the Besor reading reading from various commentary and insights and just sharing some things that I've learned along the way uh, or that stuck out to me. So please do share any thoughts or comments that you have from this week. I'd love to hear them and I'll be sure to try to share them on the screen as well. So this week, like I said, it's a double portion and there was actually a few other portions that I had come across I don't exactly know where all of these came from. Um, depending on where you look, you may see various portions and readings. These are the ones that I chose to read. Like I said, there was a couple out of John from the Basora as well that I left out. Um, but I thought that these all were really well applied to this week. So I wanted to include them. In the half tour, we're going to have 1 Kings 7, 51 through 8:21 and also Ezekiel 45:16 through 46:18 and then the Basora is going to be reading from Luke 16:1 through 13 and Luke 22:1 through 13 and this week was week 22 Vachel and Pekudei if i pronounced those right i hope i did my southern hebrew is slowly improving, but sometimes the pronunciations get me tricked up a little bit. And bear with me as I read some of these words, <laughs> depending on the translation, sometimes are a little bit tricky as well. I am going to be reading out of, let's see here, 
The scripture that I've got shared on the screen is from the scripture 2009. I just love seeing the word yod heh vav heh spelt out in the Hebrew letters. Just a really beautiful image, word, and name. All right. And we got my wife on here. Shalom and good morning downstairs. And Annette, great to see you. Hope you are doing well and having a wonderful first day of the week. All right, so let's get started since we do have quite a bit to read. I've got my reading glasses on, so that should help a little bit. And we're just going to start out with our typical reading of the commentary and then some insights that I've got through the Besora portion. All right. Like I said, we are going to start in 1 Kings 7, 51. So was ended all the work that King Solomon made for the house of Yahuwah. And Solomon brought in the things which David, his father, had dedicated, even the silver and the gold and the vessels did he put among the treasures of the house of Yahuwah. David had taken large quantities of metal, brass, and silver and gold from the other nations which he had conquered. So great was the supply that it was not exhausted by the heavy demand made upon the stores at the building of the temple and the making of the various appointments for the services. Willingness in sacrificing for the work of Yahuwah, also in building and equipping places of worship, is altogether pleasing to Yahuwah if it flows from a heart filled with true love toward him. And I think that's awesome. We talked about that in the portion on Friday, how many of the Israelites overabundantly gave from their heart, their willingness heart to give to the greater good, to contribute to the materials of the tabernacle, to where Moshe basically had to cut them off and say, that's enough. We have everything we need. Uh, and so we need to be sure that we're doing that as well, giving as, as much as we possibly can to the Father and to others. If we've been blessed by the Father, then we need to be sure to give that back. Uh, we were watching Jacob's Tent yesterday, and Bill Cloud was basically saying, you know, the, the Father invests in each of us. Some he has invested more some less. Maybe it's not your time. Maybe he has just chosen certain people for a greater responsibility. That doesn't mean that what he has gifted or put you in charge of isn't necessary because we can see with the building of the tabernacle, each one had their own specific task and they were in charge of following exactly how it was commanded to build. They essentially brought all that together to assemble the tabernacle. They weren't there to measure and, you know, well, this is going to have to be a little bit different because you did it this way. No, they all on their own created exactly what they were told and brought it together and it all fit together in one. And so Yah does invest in us, but he will want a return. We can't just sit on our gifts or our abilities. We have to put them out into the world. We have to essentially get off of our seat and act towards it. We, we don't want to be called lazy. We don't want to take things for granted that he has gifted us. So sometimes that does involve getting out of your comfort zone, being pushed out into the world, whether it be just talking about 
this to friends and family or the stranger you run across while you're out and about. Or maybe getting on YouTube and sharing a message, what's been put on your heart. It all comes in a variety of ways, but we are all called to serve and honor Yah. And he has all gifted us something special because we are all unique. All right, let me jump. That was the last verse in verse or chapter seven. So let me jump into verse chapter eight now. Sorry, get my words all scrambled. So starting in chapter eight, then Solomon, the temple being completed in all its parts, assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chiefs of the fathers of the children of Israel, the princes of the father houses, all these being representatives of the entire congregation unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of Yahuwah out of the city of David, which is Zion, the summit of Moriah, being higher than Mount Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month Ethnium, also known as Tishri, which is the seventh month. The festival here referred to is the Feast of Tabernacles, which seems at that time to have been better observed than the other two great festivals. And it was very appropriate that Solomon chose just this season of the year. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark, the bearing of which was their special work. And they brought up the ark of Yahuwah and the tabernacle of the congregation, the tent, which seems finally to have been located on a hill near Gibeon. And all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even those did the priests and the Levites bring up, the latter carrying the coverings of the tabernacle. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark. In a process which went ahead of the priest, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told or numbered for the multitude. Nobody thought it worthwhile to count the great number of sacrifices, for there was no regard to expense. And the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant of Yahuwah unto his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubim, evidently setting the Ark so, as to have it stand with its length north and south. For the cherubim spread forth their two wings, those which touched in the middle of the room, over the place of the ark and the cherubim, bending forward as did those on the cover of the ark, covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves, that is, the staves were very long on account of the great weight of the ark, and on account of the fact that the bearers were not allowed to touch the sacred vessel, that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle. That is, if anyone approached very near to the most holy place, and they were not seen without, and there they were unto this day, this account having been written before the destruction of Jerusalem. There was nothing in the ark save the two tablets of stone which Moshe put there at Harab when Yahuwah made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. It seems then that the 
golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded had been removed from the ark or were again deposited later. In Hebrews 9, 4, it says, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aharon's rod that budded and the sapphires of the covenant. I just love thinking about the sapphires, how beautiful those tablets must have been. And I hope one day we get to see those again. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud, the visible token of the presence of Yahuwah in the fullness of his majesty, as in the wilderness, filled the house of Yahuwah, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of Yahuwah had filled the house of Yahuwah. The entire sanctuary was filled with this gracious manifestation making it impossible for the priest, for the time being, to perform their work. Verse 12. Then spoke Solomon. Excuse me. I did my vocal warm-ups today and it didn't help. I might have actually hurt my throat. (laughs) Let me get some of my coffee. That's probably not helping either. Good morning, Eric. Hope you're doing well. Glad you are here. Catherine Sharon, we have we now have evidence that Cornwall, UK, and Sardina supplied meters to the temple, confirmed by science. Very interesting. I know you're doing a lot of research, so that's exciting and hope to hear more about that. All right. Verse 12. Then spoke Solomon, evidently from the platform which he had prepared in the midst of the court. Yahuwah said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. The cloud which he beheld was to Solomon, a sign that Yahuwah had come down to dwell in the temple. I have surely built thee an house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever, a firmly established sanctuary. He had in mind the merciful relation of Yahuwah to the true Israel as it would continue according to the Messianic promises throughout eternity. Shalom, emissary of Elohim. Good morning. Glad you are here. Great to see you. And the king who had uttered this exclamation with face turned toward the sanctuary, turned his face about and blessed all the congregation of Israel. And all the congregation of Israel stood out in the great court toward the east. And he said, Blessed be Yahuwah Elohim of Israel, which spoke with his mouth unto David, my father, and has with his hand fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought forth my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build a house that my name might be therein. He had built he had ordered only the tabernacle to be built for his worship worship. But I chose David to be over my people Israel, under whom Israel entered into the full and quiet possession of the promised land. 
And it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of Yahweh Elohim of Israel. And the Lord said, sorry, I am reading a King James Version. That one slipped out. And Yahuwah said unto David, my father, whereas it was in thy heart to build a house unto my name, thou didst well that it was in thine heart. Nevertheless, thou shalt not build the house, but thy son that shall come forth out of thy loins, he shall build the house unto my name. And Yahuwah has performed his word that he spoke. And I am risen up in the room of David, my father, and sit on the throne of Israel. And Yahuwah promised and have built a house for the name of Yahuwah Elohim of Israel. This explanation was given in such detail in order that the people might understand the situation exactly and appreciate the goodness and mercy of Yahuwah. And I have set there a place for the ark wherein is the covenant of Yahuwah. For the Ten Commandments on the two tables of stone represented the core or the nucleus of the entire covenant between Yahuwah and Israel, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. It is worthy of notice that at the beginning and the conclusion of the address, the building of the temple is placed in relation to the deliverance from Egypt. All right. And I love that how we can connect um, Solomon and Bethsael. They were both gifted and blessed with the wisdom from Yah. Solomon, actually as a young man, a young child, asked Yahuwah for wisdom. I didn't realize he was so young when he asked for that. But that's where all his wisdom came from, the wisest man to ever live. And so just like Bethsael was gifted the knowledge to know how to assemble the tabernacle completely and perfectly, so was Solomon gifted that knowledge how to build the temple where Yahuwah would dwell within. Really cool. All right, so let's jump over to our second portion out of the half Torah, Ezekiel 45, 16. All right. And all the people of the land shall give oblation. There's that commonality again, giving with a willing heart, making it a special point to render it for the prince in Israel who would thereby be enabled to provide for the service of worship and also to give evidence of his representation of the people. And it shall be the prince's part to give burnt offerings, the special duty of his office, and meat offerings and drink offerings in the feast and in the new moons and in the Sabbaths in all solemnities, upon all the great festal occasions of the house of Israel, he furnishing the material for the sacrifices. He shall prepare the sin offering and the meat offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings to make reconciliation for the house of Israel. 
Thus says Yahweh Elohim, in the first month, in the first day of the month, thou shalt take a young bullock without blemish, instead of the goat prescribed by Moshe for similar occasions, and cleanse the sanctuary by a sacrifice of purification according to the ancient rite. And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering as described in Ezekiel 43.20. It says, And you shall take of the blood thereof and put it on the four horns of it and on the four corners of the settle and upon the border round about. Thus shall you cleanse and purge it. And the priest shall take of the blood offering. I'm sorry. And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering and put it upon the post of the house, the gatepost of the sanctuary, and upon the four corners of the settle of the altar, its lower part and ledges, and upon the post of the gate of the inner court. And so thou shalt do the seventh day of the month for every one that erreth, transgressing by reason of human frailty. And for him that is simple, foolish, easily led astray, so shall you reconcile the house. Thus shall the year near, newly consecrated by such a beginning most truly represent the appearance of a holy year. Good morning, Heather Gray. Glad you could get into the live chat and join us. In the first month, in the 14th day of the month, ye shall have the Passover, according to the ancient rule commanding its celebration. A feast of seven days, unleavened bread shall be eaten, the festival of unleavened bread and that of the Passover being spoken of as one as early as this. And upon that day shall the prince prepare for himself and for all the people of the land a bullock for a sin offering. The idea of the feast of atonement thus being transferred also to the Passover. And the seven days of the feast, he shall prepare a burnt offering to Yahuwah, seven bullocks and seven rams without blemish, daily the seven days. These sacrifices thus being much more numerous than those commanded in the old dispensation. And a kid of the goats daily for a sin offering. And he shall prepare a meat offering of an ephah for a bullock, this also being much more than required by the Mosaic law, and an ephah for a ram, and a hin of oil for an ephah. In the seventh month, in the fifteenth day of the month, at the former time of the Feast of Tabernacles, shall he do the like in the Feast of the Seven Days, according to the sin offering, according to the burnt offering, and according to the meat offering, and according to the oil Turn the page for everybody. That was actually the end of chapter 45. So let's jump into 46 verses 1 through 18. Thus says Yahweh Elohim, the gate of the inner court that looketh toward the east shall be shut the six working days, just like the outer portal. But on the Sabbath it shall be opened, and in the day of the new moon, another day, a peculiar sanctity, it shall be opened. 
And the prince shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate without from the outer court and shall stand by the post of the gate by a pillar of the gate leading to the court of the priest. And the priest shall prepare his burnt offering and his peace offerings, and he shall worship at the threshold of the gate, offering his prayers from that point. Then he shall go forth, returning the same way in which he had come, but the gate shall not be shut until the evening. As on the one hand, the prince is unreservedly acknowledged in his special exaltation, so on the other, his rights appear in due limitation. In reference to the encroachment of any kind on the priestly prerogatives. That was a mouthful. Verse 3. Likewise, the people of the land shall worship at the door of this gate before Yahuwah, through which they could get a glimpse of the altar of burnt offering and of the priest engaged in the work of their ministry. In the Sabbaths and in the new moons, thus partaking in all the privileges granted the prince, but at a greater distance. And the burnt offering that the prince shall offer unto Yahuwah in the Sabbath day shall be six lambs without blemish and a ram without blemish. The offerings on the Sabbaths are larger than those of the Mosaic law. To imply that the worship of Elohim is to be conducted by prince and people in a more efficient spirit of self-sacrificing liberality than formally. I'm not really sure what that commentary meant. Verse 5, And the meat offering, usually in the form of flour, shall be an ephah for a ram. And the meat offering for the lambs, as he shall be able to give, with correspondingly increased faithfulness and devotion, and a hen of oil to an ephah, this again representing an advance over the ancient rites. And in the day of the new moon, it shall be a young bullock without blemish and six lambs and a ram. This sacrifice presenting a decrease over that formerly required. They shall be without blemish. And he shall prepare a meat offering, an ephah for a bullock and an ephah for a ram, and for the lambs according as his hand shall obtain unto the factor of voluntary sacrifices standing out prominently throughout the passage, and a hen of oil to an ephah. And when the prince shall enter, he shall go in by the way of the porch of the gate, and he shall go forth by the way thereof. This repetition of verse 2 serving to connect the next ordinances with those pertaining to the Sabbaths and new moons. But when the people of the land shall come before Yahweh in the solemn feast, at the set time and assembly of the congregation, he that enters in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate to prevent disorder and tumult. tumult. And he that enters by the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate whereby he came in, but shall go forth over against it, so that all confusion might be avoided at the time of divine worship. For our Elohim is an Elohim of order. And the prince in the midst 
Let's see. Oops, I got to turn your page. Verse 10. And the prince in the midst of them, joining the great throng of worshipers as one of them, when they go in, shall go in. And when they go forth, shall go forth. We have here a beautiful picture of a religious people, the highest in rank, freely mingling with the mass of worshipers and inspiriting their devotions by the elevating influence of his presence and example. And in the feast and in the solemnities, when there are two festival days in succession, the meat offering shall be an ephah to the bullock and an ephah to the ram and to the lambs as he is able to give and a hen of oil to an ephah, the factor of voluntary offerings once more appearing at this point. Now when the prince shall prepare a voluntary burnt offering or peace offerings voluntarily unto Yahuwah, by reason of special inward impulse, a joyous readiness to serve Yahuwah, one shall then open him the gate that looks towards the east, and he shall prepare his burnt offering and his peace offerings as he did on the Sabbath day. This rule, therefore, applying to all festivals. Then he shall go forth, and after his going forth, one shall shut the gate, so that the rule concerning its being closed would always be observed. The passage rightly sets forth the fine rivalry which may exist between the various ranks and classes of people in their acts of homage and adoration to Elohim. Thou shalt daily prepare a burnt offering unto Yahuwah, as by the Mosaic ordinances found in Exodus 29.38 and Numbers 28.3. Of a lamb of the first year without blemish, thou shalt prepare it every morning, literally morning for morning. And thou shalt prepare a meat offering for it every morning, the sixth part of an ephah and the third part of a hen of oil to temper with the fine flour for the sacrificial cakes, a meat offering continually by the perpetual ordinance unto Yahuwah. If the evening sacrifice was thus to be continued, discontinued, the increase of the meat offering in the morning was probably intended to compensate for it. Thus shall they prepare the lamb and the meat offering and the oil every morning for a continual burnt offering. All right, let me jump into verse 16. Thus says Yahweh Elohim, in making provisions for the future, lest conditions arise which would result in acts of violence on the part of the ruler. If the prince give a gift unto any of his sons, the inheritance thereof shall be his sons. It shall be their possession by inheritance to remain permanently under their dominion. But if he give a gift of his inheritance of the special land set aside for his use and enjoyment to one of his servants as a reward of service or loyalty, then it shall be his to the year of liberty the so-called year of the Jubilee. After it shall return to the prince, revert to him as his property, but his inheritance shall be his sons for them. That is, only what the prince has presented to his sons shall remain in their property at that time. Moreover, the prince shall not take the people's inheritance by oppression, 
a feature against which these ordnance guarded, to thrust them out of their possession, as when Ahab took Naboth's vineyard. But he shall give his son's inheritance out of his own possession, that my people may be scattered every man from his possession. All right, so that does it for this week's half Torah. Let me go ahead. Oops, I hope I hope I didn't leave that blank screen up too long. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to jump into our two Besor portions. Sorry, I have missed out on your chat here. Let me just glance through and see how everybody's doing. Yeah, I do miss Betty as well. I noticed she wasn't here, so I hope she is doing okay. Nina's having some electricity issues. All right. We just pray that the Father provides everything that we need throughout the week. That we can look to Him, <clears throat> give Him the praise and glory for it all, good and bad. All right, so let's get into Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. The parable of the dishonest manager. And he, and he also said to his taught ones, There was a certain rich man who had a manager, and he was accused to him as wasting his possessions. So having called him, he said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, for you are no longer able to be a manager. And the manager said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the managership away from me. I am unable to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, that when I am removed from the managership, they might receive me into their houses. And calling every one of his master's debitors to him, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then to another, he said, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly because the sons of this age are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they shall receive you into everlasting dwellings. He who is trustworthy in what is least is trustworthy also in much, and he who is unrighteous in what is least is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been trustworthy in the unrighteous mammon, who shall entrust you? The true. And if you have been if you have not been trustworthy in what is another man's, who shall give you what is your own? No servant is able to serve two masters, for either he shall hate the one and love the other, or else he shall cling to the one and despise the other. You are not able to serve Elohim and Mammon. And that last verse sums it all up. That is a lesson that we all need to take from. The world needs to take from this verse right here, verse 13. 
You cannot serve Elohim and mammon, money or wealth, riches, fame, fortune, whatever you consider your mammon, whatever is that idol in your life, whatever you are placing, putting on a pedestal above Elohim, that is mammon. And you cannot serve that and Elohim at the same time. Just like being set apart from the world, you cannot walk the narrow path being set apart and also relish and live in the world and the, the wickedness that it offers. You have to choose. There is not a, a mixture. It's one or the other. And so we really need to evaluate our belongings, our possessions, what our idols are in our lives. Are we putting anything ahead of L? Are we focusing on things that are causing a distraction or taking away time from focusing on him, praying to him, reading his scripture, fellowshipping with each other. We all have things in our lives that probably have taken precedent a time or two, and we need to reel that back in and focus on what is important because all those idols, all that mammon is going to disintegrate back into dust. And so what is more important? Our earthly mansions or the mansions that Messiah is preparing for us in heaven. I know it's sometimes hard when we can't visualize, when we can't see things, when we can't hold things in our hand, where the things of this earth, we can, we can obtain it, we can do just about anything we want with it. But that doesn't mean that it should take the priority in our life. All right, so let's jump into our last portion here, and I do have a few things to share from Luke 22. This one's titled, The Plot to Kill Messiah. And I've got the verses highlighted in red and just some comments here in the smaller black words. So starting in Luke 22, verse 1, And the festival of matzah drew near, which is called Pesah, or Passover, which we are upon ourselves just in a few weeks' time. So exciting. Our first feast of the year, of the new year, is upon us. So the time is significant because the Passover in Jerusalem was also crowded with Messiah expecting multitudes. It was a major feast. Many of the people who had heard or seen Messiah in the region of Galilee were in Jerusalem. They had traveled from far and wide. They generally had respect and great expectation for Messiah and his ministry. What he was speaking, the miracles he was performing, was unlike anything they had heard or seen before. And so there had to have been so much excitement in the air and talk about what was going on, what they had witnessed. Uh, and we need to continue that on. Though we haven't physically seen Messiah in the flesh, we know and we must believe that all these scriptures are true, that the things he did and the miracles he performed were for us and were for us to continue to pass on so that we can inspire others, that they can find him in their lives and build a relationship around him in that repentance and that salvation and that hope and encouragement and love that he offers and was a perfect example of. Verse 2, And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to kill him, for they feared the people. They didn't necessarily even fear Messiah himself, but they feared the people and what 
they could bring on themselves. I know last week we talked about how they even feared the, the Rome and that this excitement and discussion of Messiah being the king. They were afraid that Rome was going to hear about this and take away their power out of the temple and their authority and wealth and everything that went along with being a high priest or part of the Sanhedrin. They were worried about their status and their material wealth. The chief priests and the scribes did not fear Yah, but they did fear the people. They were not afraid to kill the son of Yahuwah. They just had to find a politically smart way to do it. And I remember discussing how we actually read many various groups, even though at the beforehand may have not been friendly, may have kind of been enemies of themselves. They all grouped and banded together against Messiah so they could get what they wanted. Verse 3, And Hasatan entered into Yehuda, Judah, who was called the man of Iscariot, whom was numbered among the twelve. Satan promoted and perhaps even guided Judas in this crime. This does not diminish Judas' personal responsibility, because none of this was done against the will of Judas, but with it. This shows that the real enemy of Messiah was Hasatan, even more than Judas was an enemy. And Hasatan can get into each and every one of our minds. He can manipulate our thoughts and our words and our actions. So we have to make sure that we have our spiritual armor on each and every day so that we are not letting him in even through a small crack. He is very cunning and wise and smart. He's had thousands of years on this earth to develop his lies and deception. He knows exactly what our weaknesses are and how to infiltrate us if we're not on guard. So we must be prepared to battle this each and every day. It's not a one and done type of thing. It's a constant battle against the adversary. Many have wondered about the motives of Judas. Some have even said that he might have had a noble motive, such as wanting to put Messiah in a circumstances where he had to show himself as Messiah. Now, the Bible does not indicate anything of this intention. This is just a, an idea of what some have wondered why Judas did what he did. It may be it may well be that Judas followed Messiah for selfish reasons, expecting to receive a position of great status and prestige when Yahusha came triumphantly to Jerusalem as the Messiah. But when Messiah came and it was evident that he was not going to be the kind of Messiah Judas had hoped for, he may have lashed out against him and opened this door to Hasatan out of spite. Messiah didn't give Judas what his selfish heart wanted, so Judas may have felt his ties to Messiah were broken. But even though Messiah knew what was coming and what Judas was going to do, he still loved him as his brother and treated him the same. And this is a great example for us. Even when we are betrayed by our own brothers, our family, our friends, or strangers, that doesn't change how we are supposed to treat them. We need to still show them love. As Messiah says, turn the other cheek. 
We know that we will be persecuted for his name's sake. And we should be honored and glad that we are dealing with that persecution because that will mean that we are fighting for Yahuwah and his son and what Messiah stood for. We should be standing for the same. Verse 4, And he went and spoke with the chief priests and captains how he might deliver up to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him silver. This shows Judas approached them and asked for a price. This points to the motivation of simple greed. What are we willing to do for mammon? What have we done in the past for mammon? Money speaks, money talks, whatever that saying is. Many people will, will drop their inhibitions, their... Um, the word is leaving my mind at the moment, but you know, they're what they stand for. If they're offered the price of money, sometimes people will succumb to a lower level and be willing to do things that they would not normally do. And so we need to make sure that money is not a corrupting factor in our spiritual walk. One may also think about Hasatan's motives. The death of Messiah on the cross was the great defeat of Hasatan. Why did the devil steer things towards this course? Yet Hasatan is not all-knowing. Perhaps he did not know that these events would turn against him. Nevertheless, Hasatan knows the Bible, so he should have known. You know, he knows scriptures he has known the word from the beginning, and so he can use it against us sometimes. We must make sure that we are putting everything against the word, that we are testing everything that man says against the scriptures, because the scriptures is the light unto our path. It's what allows us to walk straight and not be led astray to the left or right. A better explanation is the fact that Hasatan is not all wise, even if he did know that the death of Messiah would crush his head, as we see spoken of in Genesis 3.15. His hatred got the best of him. Since, ha since Hasatan is the great deceiver, he has no doubt deceived himself and may actually believe that he could or can win over Messiah. And that point was actually brought out to me I don't know, a couple months ago, and I had never really thought about that. You know, he is the great deceiver, but possibly so much so that he has deceived himself, that he has believed his own lies, and he doesn't realize that the death and sacrifice of Messiah ultimately won the battle, brought victory to good and evil. And so that's what we need to focus on. Times are tough. Life is not easy, and it's not ever going to be. There is blessing in walking this narrow path, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be trial after challenge after temptation. But we know, and we must continue to tell ourselves and believe that the battle is already won, that Yahweh has won the battle. He knows the beginning and the end. We don't, but we have to trust in Him and know that His plan and purpose in for our lives is going to be at the best it possibly can be when we are following and obeying his commandments. 
And we know that there is life in his word and his commandments. And there is death and destruction in sin and disobeying him. Verse 6. And he promised and was seeking an occasion to deliver him up to them away from the crowd. Yahuwah would use the wicked works of Judas to further his eternal plan. This was the appointed time for Messiah to go to the cross. But before Judas' treachery, the religious leaders did not intend to do it at the time out of fear of the people. You know, everyone was gathered to hope to see Messiah, to hear him speak. This was not in their plan. It definitely threw a wrench into their, their original plan. But just as we can see here, Yahuwah can use anything for his good. The, the betrayal, the deceit, the sin that Judas committed against the Messiah himself was ultimately necessary and required. It was a bad deed that was turned to good, that was meant for good. And so we just have to realize that we're going to be surrounded by bad and not everything in our life is going to go right, but Yahuwah can use anything for good. Sorry, guys, I got behind on all your comments here. I do appreciate each and every one of you. And I love that you guys can fellowship with yourself, even if I'm too busy reading. Sometimes I get distracted if I jump back and forth. But I do appreciate all you guys and all the insight that you bring and share. It's just so amazing to gather around and share the word, share the knowledge that Yah has given to all of us. I hope one day we can all be together, maybe around a big campfire, sharing the knowledge that we know, reading the scripture, just like Moshe did with the Israelites as they were passing this knowledge down from generation to generation. We need to be doing the same because we know that just within a few generations, the scripture can be lost and forsaken. Verse 7, and the day of unleavened bread came when the Pesach had to be slaughtered. This must have been a very moving commemoration for Messiah. Passover remembers the deliverance of Israel from Mitzrayim, or Egypt, which was the central act of redemption in the Old Testament. Messiah now provided a new center of redemption by a remembered, I'm sorry, to be remembered by a new ceremonial mill. And he kept Kepha and Yohanan, saying, Go and prepare the Pesah for us to eat. And they said to him, Where do you wish us to prepare? And he said to them, See, as you enter into the city, a man shall meet you carrying a jar of water. Follow him into the house he enters. This was an unusual sight because carrying a pitcher was typically a woman's work, and generally men carried liquids in animal skin containers. So this would have been a distinctive sign to the disciples. Really, just another small miracle, because how would anyone have known in the future? No one would have known except Messiah. Just another reason for their faith to grow and their Ruach to burn brighter by witnessing another small little miracle. Verse 11, 
And you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I might eat the Pesach with my taught ones? The scene here implies secrecy. And Messiah had good reason to quietly make arrangements for Passover. He didn't want Judas to betray him before he could give a final talk to the disciples. Now this is interesting, and I just wanted to put this in, and I'd love to hear your guys' insight. I know there's probably various opinions, and I'm not saying I believe one or the other or trying to push a certain narrative. I had just come across this, and I thought it was interesting to consider because I hadn't necessarily thought of it, but now it does make some sense. And so I'm going to further investigate it. Not that I need to know uh, a, a yes or no to either way, but I wanted to share this with you guys and get you thinking as well. So the mention of Passover brings up complicated issues of the precise calendar chronologically of these events. The main complicating issue is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke present this meal Messiah will have with his disciples as the Passover meal, normally eaten with lamb, which was sacrificed on the day of Passover with a great ceremony at the temple. Yet John seems to indicate that the meal took place before the Passover in John 13, 1, and that Messiah was actually crucified on the Passover. It is a common opinion that Messiah ate the Passover some hours before the Jews ate it, for according to custom, they ate theirs at the end of the 14th day, but Messiah ate his at the preceding eve which was the beginning of the same sixth day or Friday. Thus Messiah ate the Passover on the same day with the Jews, but not on the same hour. Like I said, this is just something I had come across. I'm not saying one is right or wrong. It was just something that sparked my interest, so I want to look into it a little bit more. And of course, we're not here to criticize anyone's opinion on the calendar or all those other various topics that can sometimes bring division. We just want to focus on bringing the glory to Yah, to read his scripture and hope by in doing that, we can all learn and grow together. And someday, if we are granted that gift of entering into his gates of heaven, if we are called a good and faithful servant, then all these things will be explained in time. We don't want to focus on that. We don't want to cause division. We want unity in the body. And we don't know it all. We could all be wrong. And in a way, I kind of hope sometime in some ways we are because it will be silly to have argued over certain things when we don't truly know one way or the other. Now, we do want to always speak the truth. And by relying on the scripture, we can trust that the scripture is true. But like I said, there are certain opinions. We all have them. We're just going to focus on what we do know and the words that are from Messiah and our Father. So none of the gospel mentions a lamb at the Passover meal. This may be because they could not obtain one before the official day of Passover. In addition, Messiah may have wanted it this way to emphasize the idea that he was the Passover sacrifice. And I really like that. And I think that is a big part of it. He was that unblemished lamb, that perfect spotless lamb that was sacrificed to atone for our sins, to renew the covenant so that we could 
restore that broken and divorced relationship from Yahuwah, that we could once again have that connection with Him. Messiah is the door to the Father. We must know the Messiah to get to the Father. And now our prayers can be heard because of the gift and sacrifice that Messiah gave to all of us. Let's finish up with verse 12 and 13. And he shall show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And going, they found it as he had said to them. And they prepared the Pesach. Prepared the Passover. Just wonderful. And I'm so looking forward to the Passover. I hope and pray that all of you will be able to participate in one way or another. Even if you are on your own, there are ways to do that. And we are commanded to observe and enjoy and rejoice and just fellowship in these set-apart Mohadim, these feast days, the Father's days, not the festivals, not the days that man has decided to worship, the set-apart days of Yahuwah. So that does it for me. Thank you for joining. Everybody, I hope and pray that you have a wonderful week that Yah is filled with each breath that you exhale and inhale, and that you can be a light on the hill to those around you. Stay tuned. We've got shows coming up this week. We'll keep you posted on that. Please join our Telegram. If you're not a part of that, we'd love to have you there to fellowship throughout the week. And then, of course, you're always welcome to join us on our live shows. The live fellowship is great. The chat, you guys all mean so much and offer so much to us. So like, subscribe, and share if you enjoy this content. We do appreciate all of you and what the Father is doing. He has wonderful things in store. So join us again. Shalom, everyone. Thank you.